another episode of the Agency Podcast. Eugene here on 27th Street in Toronto. And Candy here on 27th Street in Toronto. Hey, you're right beside me. I'm right beside you. We're in the same room and it's another weird experience. I don't know how we do it when we're not in the same room. I don't know. I don't know how we do it. It seems more comfortable already. I feel like we're not going to I know. Sometimes interrupt we'll, we'll or anything. like yeah. a, an episode or two without yeah. talking over one another. And then we get right back to normal. Yeah, that's true. I thought we did really good last week. We didn't talk over each other too badly. Um, so, how are you doing? I've seen you every day for the last few days. I drove up to Toronto to see family and touch base and do a couple of things. Maybe make some brownies. We should do that tomorrow night. Excellent. Maybe. I'm not, I'm not against brownies. I'm not against brownies either. I brought some ingredients to make brownies. The regular variety and the and the Alice Douglas variety. Either oh, would be fine. Right. That's right. I brought some. I even brought walnuts. Here I hope go. I have time to do this. Um, so I have a wedding on Friday. Insanely, I have to be back in Toronto to go to a wedding. So what, what's going on? Back in Chicago, you mean? Yeah, I meant back in Chicago. That's on Friday. <laughs> so you leave, that means you leave Thursday? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's insanity. 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 And then you're coming back here. Yeah. All right. If you guys can stand it, I'm well, coming well, back. Well, uh, we're suckers for punishment <laughs> around here. You're welcome That's, anytime. Thanks so much. Uh, so, what's happening? Hey, I, I ran into something on on the Facebook okay. uh, uh, earlier today. And normally, you know, I don't. Facebook's great for keeping in touch with people, but True. you know, usually I don't bother with the the memes and the politics and all of that stuff. Right. But somebody posted something oh. with a list of contronyms. And I'd never what? thought of a contronym before. Do you know what a contronym is? I have no is? idea what that is. A contronym is a word with two opposite meanings. Oh. And, and they're so cool. I yeah, just thought I'd bring I, it up. I, 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 I like that a lot. So here's a list of okay, ten, great. ten contronyms. Great. I'm ready. The first one is... Do I have oh, to say what they mean? You can give me... Okay, I'll, I'll give them to you and you give me the two meanings. All right, I'll try. Two opposite okay. meanings. All right. Apology. Oh, apology is like a speech. A, an argument, and then an apology is, is is saying that you regret something, isn't it? Exactly, it's contrition, okay. contrition um, for uh, an action or defense right. of an action. I'm gonna. I'd like to thank the academy for that, and by the academy, I mean the Republic and Plato and Socrates, right? Right. Okay. Uh, bolt. <laughs> bolt. Bolt could be to fasten something and to take off. Yes. Okay. Bound. Bound could also be to take off. Or to tie something up. Yes. To, so you're you're on your way or your movements are restrained. Oh, there you go. Cleave. Oh, cleave. That could be, I'm going to cling to you, Eugene, give you a big old hug. Or I could cleave you down the middle. Separate like from me. Glant, Glanton got cleaved in the That's middle right. of his head in Blood Meridian. Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, dust. Oh, dust. Well, dust could be to um, clean the dust off of something. But couldn't it be to put the dust onto something? Exactly. Like snow dust exactly. across the ground. Okay. Um, fast. Mm. I could starve myself and not eat anything and rest my stomach, or I could run across the street fast. I'm pushing that one, aren't I? Well, <laughs> yeah, you have, fast has a couple different meanings. Oh, okay. But if, oh, it could mean glue, too. That's right. It's quick, it's quick or stuck. Yes, quick or stuck. Okay. Okay. Left. Oh, something. Um, we I I left my um, paperwork behind. Uh, left could also mean um, off of center base, like. Oh, left, left, and then I could leave the room. No, I, I right. So you, was, so you you have yeah. really okay. It's if if it's left, it's remained yeah. or departed. Yeah. Okay. Peer. Peer could be to look at something or to be somebody like you're my peer. Or I could look into a room. That's that's half of it. Oh, that's um, half of it. Yeah, peer is a person 
who's an equal, yep. or a person who's nobility. Oh, I see. I didn't know the nobility. Uh, yeah, because, uh, you know, peer. Your peers. Yeah. Oh, your peers. Great. You're, you're, right. you're, yeah. You're right. All right. Uh, sanction. 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 Oh, that's tricky. Sanction. We, we, we sanction countries sometimes. Some countries sanction countries and don't give them anything. They hold back. And then sanction means I'm going to give you pardon. That's right. To approve or to boycott. Okay. And the last one is W-E-A-T-H-E-R, weather. Oh, weather could be to hold fast and to stick with something or um, like to weather a storm or it could be the storm. Close. It's, it's to withstand or to wear away. Oh, oh, to weather to something weather is like, like a road. road. Yes. Oh, wow. That's what a great list. Isn't that a great list? Yeah, I saw was, it. it was, I thought it was really that charming. That was a lot of fun, actually. So I thought, I felt, let's, let's just share it with our felt like charades yeah. there for a second. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, it's even more fun making you guess. Yeah, that was it's, fun. That's actually. better than and me we guessing. we didn't plan that. No. No. So, well, you know, we got to have coffee this week. And during coffee, sometimes we had little conversations. Did we? Yeah. Okay. It was kind of fun to do that because, I mean... Usually, Stag and I just pass, ships passing in the night. Oh, here comes a cat. <laughs> and he is digging into my yes. we have a pants. We have a 21-year-old cat who's gone daffy here named he's Shadow. And he's Yeah, he's gone a little bit cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and he's just up on me now. Oh, poor little guy. Oh, he's the and, most adorable. And Mr. Jealousy, George, yeah. George is here because he's jealous because we're giving Shadow attention. Yeah. George is our Newfoundland dog here. Yeah. Well, we all got a kind of a surprise the other morning when... Um, in the newspaper, there was a picture of eco-activists, and they had thrown tomato soup on a Van Gogh. And um, I thought, I don't know, I didn't, even, I don't even know if we got to this, but all I could think about was, is Andy Warhol somehow to do with this because of tomato soup? <laughs> right? Have they thrown this soup on and its art collapsing on itself? Because I didn't understand the message. And then we looked at the paper, and they said, well, maybe it had nothing to do with the art, and they were just trying to get attention, to bring attention and to what the were oil. And what were they getting attention to? Well, they said to oil. They didn't I like do remember oil. Because they didn't like oil painting. Because they put oh, it... Did they say oil painting? I'm sure they didn't mean oil painting. No, they meant oil, petrol, oh, petrol. So, oh, so they were going to try to pretend to to wreck art by throwing right. soup on it yeah. so we'd all know that oil is bad. And then they were probably going to use their cell phone, which <laughs> is made out of oil, to, uh, to Instagram to post it. To Instagram. Well, you know what I thought about was, because we talked a bit about whether or not we would violate... Artwork. Well, for me, I don't see any difference in violating the Van Gogh by putting tomato soup on it or immersing ourselves in it with the Van Gogh immersives. To me, that's a violation of the art, too. Oh, I, I, I don't like those immersive things. <laughs> that's at what all. I'm saying. I would be Which okay with worse. the immersive things if it was they made up their own stuff. Right, right. Instead of taking the, the fame of artists. some dead artist. Yes, we got that. that. Yeah. Me. But I just thought, so we did have a little conversation about that. Don't feel, we don't, we don't feel the same about it, but. You know, what are you going to do? And then I saw a lot of memes saying that it didn't really, wasn't going to do anything. It just confused people. Well, it's certainly not going to stop us from using oil because these people threw soup on a painting. Well, everyone is using oil, including the, the young women who threw the paint. Of course. Paint. Of In course. fact, I, they I probably mean, use oil to make tomato soup. I think they're naive kids and they're, they're, their heart is in the right place. Uh, but um, I don't think that they're the, the, the sharpest tacks in the, in the, the tack box. Yeah. It's not easy being an eco-activist, I don't think. Yeah, how do you do these um, efforts? Did you ever read The Monkey Wrench Gang? No. Oh, that that one is Edward Abbey, and I, I do recommend it. It's a pretty cool book, pretty classic, very 70s. Mm. Um, and um, it's kind and of... a strange a, dude, that Mr. Edward Abbey. He was a strange very, dude. Very, very strange dude. 
What do you know about him? Well, he was he was uh, a misogynist. He oh. was uh, oh uh, that <laughs> a, he was an activist. Yes, um, he was trying to save the West from development. Mm -hmm. He was a strange loner. Um, he was uh, I don't know. He's a writer. He wrote mm -hmm. a bunch of books, mm -hmm. and they're they're well written and powerful. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, but a bit level. contradictory to be an environmentalist and then not stand up for women's. Identities too. That's to be a misogynist is kind of a bummer. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's part of it. Yeah. All right. So that was a big excitement this week, and um, somebody on Facebook. I really. I, I don't know why it. I think he was a misogynist. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Oh on that. wow! Could that be right? Gee, I because I don't think I know as much about him as you do, and I was just going to go with that. I want to read something out that uh, one of our listeners. Okay, go for it. Read here. I'm just going to take me a second to find it because it made me laugh out loud. Um, was just let me see if I can find it because I posted on Facebook to see how does anybody feel about this this effort, and our friend Tim wrote. He said, "I suppose it's that fine art ownership is seen as an activity for the rich." I was a little appalled, to be honest. Van Gogh wasn't a financially successful artist, and I immediately wondered what the acid in the soup would do to the paintings or to the canvas. Um, it's mm. under glass. I support the idea of protest, but this will have the same impact of throwing a pie in Bill Gates' face. A visit to the bathroom to clean up, and I'd be willing to bet most of you either forgot about the pie or never heard about it before. Fifteen minutes of notoriety. notoriety. I'd rather hear Eugene rant about cheating in chess or go. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a great comment. So we'll try and do some ranting about chess or go tonight because yeah. apparently now it's one of our listeners about, really about, likes it. Um, about Abby. Abby. Yeah. You were talking about Abby. Am I? Edward Elby. Abby. Oh, Abby. Yeah, Edward Abby. Yeah. Or, or were we talking about Elby? No, not Alby. That's the absurdist. Right. And Edward Abby. Right. The, the guy from the West. Uh, yeah. 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 You had it. You had it All going right. on. Okay. You had it going on. Yep. Were you looking up quickly? Is he a mis Edward well, Abbey misogynist? Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, I thought, oh my god, where did I just go? Here I am, like destroying this human oh being. Oh my god! Um, and like based on some little like memory chip in the back right, of my skull somewhere, right. could I be wrong? And then I think, oh my god, I was wrong ten times before breakfast today. Right? That, no, 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 you weren't. I so, don't think so. All right. Um, speaking of comments. I also wanted to add, do we have a second? Because we talked about Blonde a couple weeks ago. And, you know, when I saw, before, I watched Blonde. This is a, a, a listener of ours. I watched Blonde before knowing any commentary about it. Uh -huh. And, of course, then I found out it was controversial and people didn't like it. Well, um. You didn't, you had to, you didn't find that out when you watched it. Oh, I thought it was I thought it was um, dark for sure, yeah. but I didn't know what the the reviews were. Okay. I didn't know what they were going to be. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know about that. There were so many different responses from it, but um, it's funny because uh, a, a a friend of ours, a listener, his name's Greg. He he sent a message when I said that I loved Blonde and I thought it was brilliant. Blah blah blah. He said, "Interesting. It's gotten all sorts of negative reviews," which I read after watching the film. So I was feeling guilty about liking it. You and I have similar taste in films, ah. okay? And then he said, I said that, um, you know, um, 
check the podcast out because he hadn't heard it yet. He goes, confession, I fell asleep right before you began discussing the film and woke up during the next podcast and shut down. Good, good discussion. I laughed at the dancing chicken comment, which always reminds me of the sad ending to Herzog Strozek. Your response to the critics helped me formulate thoughts. I had been brewing. Knowing the literary source of the story, I wasn't expecting a realistic or rounded portrayal of Monroe, but rather an interpretation of some aspects of her life. The criticism that she only is shown as a victim, i.e. doesn't fulfill the current demand for a strong woman heroine, oh, rings hollow with me. Her agency, even if she ultimately is crippled by her past and current burdens, clearly is shown in with Henry uh, Arthur Miller, especially with the cafe scene where she shows her deep understanding of his work. As you said, not a film of the century, but a powerful film. So thanks, Greg, for your comments and response to the podcast. And I ha think it's totally valid to fall asleep in a podcast, wake up, and the next day play it again and, and listen. Because we've got over 170 episodes. That's so, right. You know, you just move on to the next one. It might be more interesting. Or I fall asleep in podcasts and TV shows all the time. It's it's endless and I have to wake yeah, up and I podcast that I fall asleep you during podcasts. <laughs> that hasn't happened. That has not happened. Unfair. So this is kind of a special uh, episode. Yeah. Uh, both because we're in the same place, but we decided that we would focus this episode. We would watch a movie together. Yes. Which we just did. Which we just did and on the Criterion Collection. Yes. Which which Candy has had for about a year and couldn't that, watch and couldn't watch because she lost her remote control <laughs> my DVD remote. I just love that I know <laughs> and I bought another DVD player and so in order to watch it she's bought another DVD player but she's also brought the film to Canada yes I so brought it all the way here. here so we could watch it I, because I thought well maybe we'll have a discussion so what film do you think listeners I wish you could call in you could I guess know. what Candy would would bring I know I brought two films I bought brought Fitzcarraldo speaking of Strozek. We'll get there. And Dancing Chickens. We'll get there. But I also brought Rebecca. I thought I'd bring Rebecca because I felt that that was a fail-safe film. We could we could probably get something out of it and 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 some common ground. I felt Fitzcarraldo I wasn't yeah. sure about. And, and the interesting thing is both of us have seen Rebecca oh, mul multiple, multiple times, times. But we just watched it and both of us could be heard saying, what? I don't remember that. I don't remember I that. I don't remember that. I was like literally like, What? He did? I forgot half of the oh, yeah. film. It's amazing. It, mind you, it's probably been maybe 30 years since I watched oh, it. Oh, really? I've probably, probably watched it in 10 years ago. So, Rebecca, Hitchcock film, for anyone who uh, who doesn't know, starring a 1940 film based on the uh, the novel, not just the novel, what did they call the novel? The uh, the compelling novel? Did they? I think yes, they did. I think yeah, the so. compelling novel by Daphne du Maurier. Yeah. Um, oh, and I have to just digress here. Do digress. And... When I was a kid, <laughs> my father read all of Daphne du Maurier's books. And my father was my father was not an educated man. He had like high school education, but he was a voracious reader. Mm -hmm. He was a very smart man. Um, but his understanding of literature, of course, is based on silent reading. Yes. And so somehow when he read Daphne du Maurier's name... Mm. When he would say it, he would say "damp," "damp," "damp" instead of "Daphne." How he? Because I don't know. Maybe he couldn't cope with <laughs> Daphne, and he just thought it was "damp." Damp. So he told me about this mystery yeah. author named Damp de Maurier. She right. was really great. He told me all about her stories and everything, <laughs> and I didn't know who the heck this Damp de Maurier was. And and years later, I heard about a Daphne de Maurier, and I thought, 
That's I'll bet you be. it's the same father. Did you ever ask him? Dad no, I, I would never I would never no, break his heart. No, no, no. Of course not. No. Because as far as he was concerned, she was damp and I know, it's so funny. And she was perfectly good as damp. Yeah, she was. So anyway, this film, uh, based on the compelling novel by Daphne du Maurier, stars Laurence Olivier and Joan Fontaine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a story. It's well, it's hard to describe the kind of story it is because it has it has more plot twists than Ozark. It does kind of. <laughs> I mean, it is. It, just... it has more plot twists than the house it's filmed in, and it's That's filmed right. in a giant mansion. That's right. And this mansion called Mandalay, it is so giant <laughs> that they say things like, "Oh, he hasn't used the the uh, the West Wing in a year." Right. Right. Um, so th- this house is really it's like a character in the film itself. Yes. And. Um, it's a story about a young woman meets this this fascinating widower, and uh, she she gets married. She marries to a whirlwind romance. They get married, and he moves back to mm-hmm. his home, Mandalay. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, it's in good shape because he had the staff working on it, right? Including and Mrs. Danvers. Danvers, what yeah. a witch! What a witch! And he had and like twenty people worked there. It was like Down Abbey. It was like a huge Who were looking staff. after it. And this guy, wherever he got his money, must have right. really old money. Really. Uh, because he could afford to just keep paying the staff to look after And go house. traveling. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because the movie, I, I don't know if you noticed it, it starts out with a voiceover of a woman saying that, oh, there it is, Mandalay. And she talks about going into a dream. And she said, like any dream, it, it might trigger a sense of supernatural. And then she goes, well, here's Mandalay. But then she said, but it started really in France. And it was weird because I think that's such an interesting literary de- device that she put us in the castle in yes. memories, and then next thing you know, you're in France. So all of a sudden, you're, you're leaping back. into. It's your, kind of nonlinear. It, it was kind of nonlinear. <laughs> Which reminds me, last yeah we have last to discuss week, this. We have to just add this in. Yeah, last I week. Fix it. Um, somebody, I somebody did. who's not me on the podcast suggested that I didn't care for nonlinear films. And those of you who listen to the podcast will have noticed that I didn't respond to that accusation. You know, I just I just kind yeah. of like says, mm, mm, yeah, whatever. Well, and, is it an accusation? I mean, I feel bad. The thing is... It was is, a confrontation. When you... The way you said it was, you don't like. I feel like I went, is it possible that you may not enjoy nonlinear? But listen, you know what? It's not an easy situation to be in when you want to ask somebody something about what you think about you don't want to tell somebody what they are that is wrong so i wasn't sure how do i bring this up and how do i mention is it possible that you don't like nonlinear? it would be like saying to me but i even don't as really, you were saying i don't it, like stevia but even i don't as, like licorice even as you were yes. saying it you started to remember nonlinear films that you I did. perfectly well that i loved yes i remembered memento and uh, everything everywhere all at once and there's many, many films right. you've watched that so, are nonlinear. But that said, I, I did do some chewing on that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that in film, one of the things that's different about film than, say, painting is that in painting, you know, my old friend and teacher, Ron Bloor, said, I can go into an art gallery and I can look at a painting for a quarter of a second. Mm-hmm. And in that quarter of a second, I'm going to know whether I'm going to spend another quarter of a second on that painting. Mm. Um, you don't have the same kind of contract of time that you have with a filmmaker. The filmmaker, he makes a deal with you. Mm-hmm. And that deal is, 
you're going to sit through this for an hour and a half, or in the case of many films today, <laughs> three and a half hours, uh, and and I'm going to make it worth your while. Right. Um, and so, um, one of the things about a narrative that, um, in some fashion goes from a beginning to an end or even an end to a beginning or a middle to a beginning to mm -hmm, an end mm -hmm. still that that still is held together in a, in a way that you can understand the events and time mm -hmm. is very satisfying to humans I think yes um, and, it is very satisfying. And so like if, fiction yeah so if you want to if you want to make a film that's nonlinear there's a real danger that you're gonna end up with first year art school and okay. um, and and stuff that just really isn't isn't going to fulfill the contract. It's like I don't want to spend this yeah. time doing it, which isn't to say that you can't do it and you can't do it successfully. I think you can, but I think it's more difficult to. And so, in my opinion, mm -hmm. there are some great nonlinear films, but there's also lots and lots of bad ones. Now, mind you, yeah. there's lots of other kinds yeah. of bad films too. Right. But I, I just think it's easier to make a a film that's satisfying, which um, which embraces Classically told. which embraces a narrative. Yeah, I, I think you're probably onto something with that. And the other thing is, you I almost think said I was right. It almost came out. You said you were going to say, "I I think you're probably right," but you couldn't do it. I can always tell you when you're right, but I was trying to use language that was more open ended. Okay. Yes, I understand. Okay, so I think that I know I'm giving you a hard time. It's okay. This. I can handle it. I think. Sometimes we've got different words for different things. Like, let's say, um, maybe when we're saying nonlinear, or when I said it, maybe I mean experimental film. Um, what about art house films? They can be, some people really joke about them, and they're very few and far between now. I think there's less of them now because they don't make a lot of money either, or they consider that they won't make a lot of money. And those films, for people well versed in a classical Hollywood narrative, those films might be more challenging or, or boring or, or they couldn't keep me interested. I told you about going to the art gallery. Now, speaking of looking at a, at a painting and making a split decision, I think that works for someone who is, he's a professional painter, he's well sunk into the art world and, and studying painting and a passion. I Fair have enough. a friend, I have a friend, we went to the um, Art Institute, and I don't know if I talked about this. I said, Stag now says he'll never have such a great time at the Art Institute ever again. She set off all the alarms. And, <laughs> and, and she just looked at a Mark Rothko and went, "I see, I just don't get it. I don't know what this is about. And I proceeded, and she said it really loud for everyone to hear. And I was laughing so hard. And I said, well, you know what? Think of it like a portal or a doorway. It's into another dimension. So he's making a spiritual philosophical painting about another dimension it's it's he's painted a dock where you might jump in the lake or a window where you might go into another world could you see it that way she's yeah i just don't get it and i mean there was no willing to like mm -hmm. expose yourself to it and then we saw roman sculptures of little babies and she goes now see that i like and she's italian so it was really f we were laughing they were marble italian sculptures oh, okay. and she grew up with that and so that so was familiarity split, yeah the split yeah. second and it was also classically um, obvious, rendered in a way that she was classically familiar with how it was rendered, mm -hmm. as opposed to Matisse. We went there to see the Monet, oh, lilies and such, right? Which she also loved. Which I thought, you know, when he made these, people thought they were garbage. Many people, not everybody, but a lot of people thought those were garbage and Van Gogh was garbage. 
because there was like nonsense painting, like they just whacked it on the canvas. We don't remember anymore that that was completely avant-garde and experimental. So, but now my friend loves those because they are historically correct and you've been exposed to them so much, we see them as beautiful. Um, or we see them as something to throw tomato paint on, tomato soup on, but whatever, right? So I don't know. Now, whereas our, your, our mutual friend, your good friend, he was trained in going, I feel like that too. I can see a painting and I feel like I can read it right away and I know if it's what's, what it's going to give to me, but that's just because I'm coming at it from... Informed, you're informed. In my own informed way, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think his point was really that it, with painting, you can do that. You can bring all True. your life's experience, True. your knowledge to that painting so fast in a, in a, in a speed almost quicker than the eye. Yeah. It's remarkable how fast you True. can you can start to get judgmental about that because yeah. all those things flood in your head and outspits the conclusion. Right. Spend more time, don't spend more time. Right, right. Right, and it's it's a it's it's a it's one frame in time. Whereas a film, like you said, or a novel, a novel takes what eight hours to read, um, but you know who has eight hours in one day, so it takes us a couple of weeks to read it, an mm -hmm. hour at a time or something, right? But those are commitments, and if you don't get get us at the first fifty pages, you're going to be lucky if the reader keeps going. That's right. And so I think that's what you mean about these films is is a film that is challenging in the way it's told can all that's can right. almost lose us. That's right. And if you want to now, if you want to make a novel in which um, you want to really, your, your goal is to, is to challenge your audience mm -hmm. to not like it. Mm -hmm. You would write, say, uh, 2666 is what I'm thinking of, <laughs> right? I mean, surely the, surely the guy who wrote that didn't really, really had some kind of disdain and hatred for his, uh, for his audience, didn't he? I, don't, I didn't feel that, but maybe, maybe, maybe he did. I think the other thing we mix up is academic versus intellectual. Intellectual is that kind of way of looking at things that just leaves you cold and you can't get into it. And it, it, it's like, it's that punchline. It's like you're trying to sell an agenda and it, it can be off-putting. Whereas hmm. some... Right? What does academic mean to you then? Well, just really thorough reading or thorough study. Oh, see, I would I would define them differently. How would you I would say them? that if it's intellectual, it's a discourse that's based on a higher level of knowledge. In other words, it's a discourse based on, uh, let's say if we had an intellectual yeah. discussion, it would be because we had a good deal of knowledge and expertise in the area, mm, and it elevated the discussion. Whereas if it was an academic discussion, mm. I would say, well, it's dry, it's for the academics. Right. But in, in part, that way of looking at the world comes from, as a, as a painter, being exposed to the, the, so much <laughs> art that we, if you go to an art history class, yeah. the, the works that get highlighted are not the academic works. Mm -hmm. The academic works are the ones you see, like in the gallery, stacked up six high. That's the academy, and everything is brown and boring. Whereas, oh, yeah, whereas the, the other work, the more experimental work, yeah. which isn't academic, would be it could be intellectual. Right. So I would like to find it differently. Yeah, I know. But I, is, I appreciate your definition. I guess I'm just, I just trying never to, thought of it. Yeah, way. I don't know. I guess now, in, I, I think you're right about the way you said an intellectual conversation would be. For me, I meant intellectual in the way rather than being passionate or um, if you're intellectual you're saying like it's like Spock 
versus Kirk, right? Spock he gets logical and intellectual about something rather than um, giving in to like a, a deeper look at something. He get he gets stuck mm, right okay. at that. But but so somebody who's and I don't mean like intellectual like in in South America when they killed all the poets. Uh, now poets and philosophers those would be intellectuals, and they would get killed in a dictatorship, right? Thrown out of helicopters, right? In the 70s. So I didn't mean that kind of intellectual. <laughs> thrown out of helicopters in the 70s. States, I love that. Yeah. State sanctioned murder, right? Okay, States, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think they did that. They just dumped them did in they? the ocean. Yeah, yeah okay. definitely. And um, in Bolivia and whatever. Allegedly, I don't want to upset anybody in those dictator com countries. Mm -hmm. but um, So are yeah. we going to have an intellectual discussion of Rebecca or an academic one? Yeah, I guess it's like um, I don't know. I guess we're gonna have we're we gonna have our deep rousing, in depth analysis of a film for sure. All right, all right. So, nineteen forty film. Mm -hmm. Young woman marries fascinating guy. Discovers that she's um, she's got to live in the shadow of his of his dead wife Rebecca. Yeah, she moves into this ridiculous house, and she meets up with the housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers, who adored. Rebecca. Right. And who is creep a leap. Oh, yeah, she is so she's creepy. She's just like a monster. And not, not just creepy, but also nasty. Nasty. Right, to the point cruel. where at one point in the film, she she's in this room, which is was Rebecca's room, which yeah. is the most beautiful room in the house. Apparently. Which was the most spectacular room it you could ever conceive of. Yeah. And she opens the window overlooking the sea, and all you could see is like the fog, and it's a long way down. Right. And she says, it could be easy. You could jump. Yeah. You yes, can do to it. this poor young woman, John yes. Fontaine's character. Yes. yes, and she's trying to Get drive out because she she wants <laughs> to live in the memory in in the her memory of the Rebecca that she loves mm -hmm. stuck in time. Right, and if this girl is this new bride is there, I guess she can't have Rebecca anymore. Right, that's how I was yes. trying to understand yeah, it. Yeah, like, so she's why not is gonna, she so nasty? Yeah, so she's just not going to accept that there's another right. Mrs. Uh, De Winter. Right. However, I would say there was a new plot twist at the very end that made me think differently about no not differently but made me understand Danvers a bit more okay. which we can get to okay so what else do we need to say about this movie um before we get, well we need I don't to say to that, that, part. that we think that the plot is about this woman driving the new Mrs. De Winter out right. of the house right but we discover that there is a lot more to this than meets the eye. True. We start to meet a few characters in the in the town. Yes. Some of them very sweet. And we think that part of the problem is that Mr. De Winters, um, whose first name was... Maxime. Maxime. Um, was so in love with Rebecca that he can hardly function mm, yeah. because of his love for her and so the marriage is never going to work because he loved her so much yeah, but the new fact, marriage yeah yes but in fact that's not the case that's at all. true so we meet his brother-in-law i think or sister-in-law or someone's someone's that couple that comes and they're quite funny and they show us they have a very happy attitude and they seem to really like the, the new the new wife only they know she's not as fancy as the old wife she's not um the other one really fit into society um, had the best parties, the best clothes, the best hair. And this new wife, she's kind of, they call her modest. They describe women yeah, in three ways. But <laughs> modesty was what you want in a wife and from the good family, from yes. the good couple. Right? They describe three things about her and modesty, everything you want in a wife. And later we find out that Rebecca had everything you want in a wife, but they were all kind of evil. Evil traits. I couldn't write them down fast enough. But they were like, 
oh, um, you know, she, materialistic or something. I can't, I can't remember what they were. So the story goes on and on, and you find more and more about the house. And you travel around this house. It's quite magnificent. And then you meet a cousin of Rebecca's, and his name's Jack. And you start to realize, maybe this and, Rebecca, why does she know this guy? He's like a con artist. That's right. You know right away that he's a con artist. Yeah. It would be like seeing Donald Trump for the first time. You know, He's <laughs> obviously a con artist. Right, exactly. He's got the, the suave, smarmy attitude. But like Donald Trump, not everybody can see that. No, not everybody can see that. And, um, you know, and he comes off and he's polite and he's he really loved Rebecca. He was a good friend of hers. But you all of a sudden get this feeling like, I don't think he's her cousin. I think he was one of her lovers. Mm -hmm. You just get this feeling. Then you find out. I just want to try and uh, kind of go, oh, you know what I thought about in this movie was Vertigo. I thought there were several little themes of the relationships that reminded me of Vertigo. Very Mrs. Danvers was playing the part of Jimmy Stewart's recreating The Bride. Um, so Danvers, the housekeeper, who's the evil housekeeper, she encourages her to go into the room, wear your hair. Uh, several people are encouraging her to change your hair as if it's to be like the first wife. And even to the point where there's a painting, like in Vertigo, and to emulate that painting and come and do it. Because this is a ghost story. Like Vertigo's a ghost story. Yes. This has a ghost story. And it starts out with this gothic mansion, like we said, and dreams and supernatural. And you... The young bride always seems to feel like Rebecca's around the corner, as if she's actually in the house. All her stationery, all her clothes, all her jewelry is always sitting there. With her, um, what's it called, your initials? On it's everything. Monogram. Monograms on everything. So at, in amongst all this time where um, the housekeeper is trying to change the young wife, the new wife, into being, go ahead, be like Rebecca. You'll never be as good as her. We find out that this kissing cousin guy, Jack, and Danvers were really all close with Rebecca. You're like, okay, what is going on here? Why are these three? This Danvers seems like she couldn't be friends with anybody. That's right. And you start to get this implication that there was a sexual menage a trois, maybe. maybe. Oh, I never thought that. Interesting. Oh, you didn't? I thought there was no. some kind of lesbian Ooh, thing with Danvers maybe. and Rebecca. I guess it's that single white female. Did you ever see that movie? No. Where Jessica Jason Lee tries to be like Bridget Fonda and gets her hair cut like her and changes like her. I felt like this housekeeper really had that vampiric thing on Rebecca. And um, bordering on, was there some kind of love connection between these three? Mm -hmm. um, and at one point in court, and one yeah. point in court, Jack goes like this and he waves his fingers all like you would flirt with somebody. You're like, I thought he was waving at the new bride. He was waving at Mrs. Danvers. And I was like, that's when I was like, okay, something's up here. That she was like the dominatrix with those two or something. Because she does have a dominatrix style presentation, even in her clothing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We can't prove it. It's an old-fashioned film. They're not going to put that on there. Except that when we find out as the story goes on, we find out that there was a terrible storm. There's a big party. She dresses like that painting, upsets her husband. I hope I'm making sense here. The, the new bride dresses yes. at a costume there, party. There is a painting, and the Dan, Mrs. Danvers suggests to the new bride uh, that she dress up. Yeah, like that painting like or that some, painting. one of the paintings. Um, and she did it deliberately because just before, the last time they had a masquerade ball, just before um, the first Mrs. De Winter Dies. died, um, she dressed up yeah. as that painting. Yes. 
And so when the new Mrs. De, De Winter comes downstairs dressed up like the painting, the husband gets very angry. He's triggered. And we think he's angry because he loved Rebecca so right. much, but he's angry because... We find out that the young wife runs away and hides. At the same second she's in this clothing, there's a terrible storm outside and there's a shipwreck. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what? Everybody runs out from the party, runs down to the ocean, and they're all trying to save this shipwreck. The next, the late that night, maybe it's later that night, it's dark, and there's a little cabin on the beach, and the, the young bride and the husband meet each other in there, and he said, I've got to tell you something. There was a woman who washed up on the beach, and we buried her. That was not Rebecca. We found Rebecca. He describes the whole events of everything that happened. She gets a bonk on the head. That's right. And so so they have a spat. Yeah. And the spat, basically, they hate each other. Yes. She, gets, she marries him and then says, Aha, we, I'll make a deal with you. I really hate you. But, but look, I'll be the perfect hostess and uh, we'll, we'll live this uh, pretend life. And right. you don't have to love me, right. but I'll do my part. Right. And the thing about not loving her, that's when he said, the husband tells the new wife, I can't tell you the terrible things that she's done in her life. And that's where I thought there was a debauchery, is that what what kind of sex crimes had this woman done that would be so reprehensible to you? I mean, you know, obviously she was a loose woman or something, and she hid that from him, got married, and wanted to have the money. And she had a morally corrupt life, according to him. And uh, then you start adding up Mrs. Danvers, Danvers, the housekeeper, and Jack, and you think, what kind of relationship yes. could and they have? And they're in a cottage by the sea. Yes. And um, they they get into uh, they get into a fight, and she says, "Yeah, well, what are you gonna do now? Because I'm pregnant." Yes. So are we gonna completely ruin this plot? Or are we just no, gonna say there's another say whole level of yes, plot twist? There is another whole level of plot twist. So um, you know, I just wanted to kind of find a way to describe that there's something unexplainable with some of these characters. I still don't understand why Miss Danvers was so obsessed with her. And the only way I can look at it is, you know, that there was some kind of um, projection onto her or, or lust of some kind, even if it was just psychological lust or coveting, you know, being a, 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 a house servant to this woman, you know, and not having her own life, except this woman was evil. So I thought it was a lot of fun. It, it did feel dated in lots of ways that I don't think I would have noticed so much before but it's so melodramatic that it's juicy with the music yes it's fantastic yes. and the filming um, i never and saw they, hitchcock and they bring in um the element of nature yes um because at the beginning when there's a the voiceover from the new mrs uh de winter mm -hmm. she says well now nature is taking over the wildness of nature mm -hmm. is taking over right and then we have fire yes um involved Rebirth. so and yeah yeah and funny, their name is winter, right? Yeah, it's an ending of a time period. It's time for the. It's time for that estate to rest and sleep. So the the genius of of both, I think, the book and the film, uh, is that it sets you up to see it as a gothic melodrama, mm -hmm. and then it provides another whole level of stuff going yeah, on yeah, that you're that you didn't expect because yeah. you expect it to go one way and it takes you yeah. another way um 
and it really it's a it's a movie i would say it's about hate deception memory and blackmail yeah yeah that's true it's good and you know what else is funny while you were saying that was if you think of wuthering heights and that kind of gothic novel that it's it's emulating but 50 60 years later it's kind of interesting because he's deconstructing all the things that are implied in those old novels he's putting in there a little bit more hitchcock's putting them mm. in there a little bit more which or i'm DeMori, assuming DeMori, which i'm assuming demory was really pulling on yeah it's I, be I don't know because i'm yeah. not familiar with her story right i don't know the degree the amount of liberty that, that right. hitchcock or the writers of the film took with the door right true good point good um, point I, I read briefly that um, that he was fairly faithful to it, but I mean that's just a, a brief sentence. Yeah. Some random yeah. review somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. But I enjoyed it very much. I always, uh, you know, I really, really did love it. It was a lot of fun. Very good fun. Uh, yeah, me too. Um, it surprised me, even though I've seen it multiple <laughs> yeah. times. Yeah. It surprised me. Because my own memory of it had faded. Yeah. And it's disconcerting when you realize that that happens to something that you think you remember well. And you realize, I don't remember this well at all. Well, it's funny because before we went to watch it, I said, I thought Hitchcock was good. Because no matter how many times I watch him, I always see something new. And I don't know whether it is because there's so much in there, so rich, that you just can't remember it. And all of a sudden you see, you see a clothing different or you see a mannerism different. You see all kinds of things that he's put in there. You know, he made sure that every frame is is got meaning in it. Yes, this was, by the way, uh, Hitchcock's first Hollywood venture. Isn't that funny? Um, Hitchcock was an, an interesting fellow. You know, he he did the first sound film in Britain, um, which was Blackmail. I didn't know that. And um, that's a, if you ever have a chance to watch that one, it's pretty interesting because <laughs> it starts out very much like a silent film. Oh, uh, and then the as they're filming it the technology to make a sound film becomes possible. And so they start adding in. Oh, isn't that sound. brilliant? It's yes. quite brilliant. Uh, so it's knowing that he when you watch that. it, you realize that, yeah. that oh, this started out as going to be a silent, silent wow. movie. So, I mean, he goes right back. The whole history of sound films yeah. he's, he's a part of. Yeah. And he had a whole career as a British filmmaker. And they're mostly very strong films. They are. They, um, they really hold up well, and in some ways, they hold up better for me than his Hollywood films. Right, that's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, you know, they they're 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 more classic. They they don't have the trendy actors in them, the trendy American actors. Maybe that's it. The the acting is somber and serious and sincere and hopeful. Whereas there's a lot more wit in the American ones. Um, and plus, when you're operating well, in, black wit in the white, black and white. You you have an opportunity to use the interplay of light and shadow, and yeah. it's done masterfully in this yeah. film. And there's just something about um, black and white. I don't know. For me, it suspends my disbelief. It just does. I don't. Sure. And it yeah. shouldn't, I, but it does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I think black and yeah. white is. Uh, I think even when it's used today, it's yeah, very powerful. it still does that. Yeah. 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 Maybe to when it's used today, even more so because you're not expecting it. Right. Right. Did you like that movie, The Artist? That was came out a few years ago. It was a silent film, black and white. I don't know anything about okay. it. Okay, all right. I don't think I even heard of it. Yeah, I think really. it might have got Best Picture even. Oh yeah. Yeah. Gee, where well, was I? I don't know. Maybe working your buns off somewhere. Who knows? Just who, who knows? knows? Yeah. Um, there's. Should we make anything of the fact that there's a big age difference between? Um, 
Um, yeah, I think we should. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, because they kept mentioning it. They must have mentioned it five times in yes. the film. And everyone looked at her. She was very young and naive. Yes. Yeah. What do you What do you think of well, that? Well, he likes the fact that, that she's young and naive, and he, he makes a couple of comments about her youth. I think that has to be a kind of virginal thing, don't you? Maybe. An and innocent, because we yeah. don't know who about Rebecca. We assume Rebecca is a sophisticated wonderful person that's right and later we learn that what he appreciates about his new wife is that she's everything that the first yeah. wife isn't yes um but he does say at some point during the film it's a pity you have to grow up yes yeah which i thought was kind of like icky so maybe he appreciated <laughs> the fact that she was naive and was not was not hip to how horrible the world could be yeah and which she... weighed heavy on his mind as it turned yes. out Yes, because the, the people around him, those three people, they had done something despicable. Maybe they, it's the blackmail. It could be as simple as that they were all operators, you yeah. know? And I, I don't know if we should also put a lot of weight into, into the idea that um, she was ordinary in many ways, including not being rich. Um, yes. When he meets her, she has a job oh, yeah. as a paid companion yeah. to a woman, a really obnoxious woman named Edith. Yes. Obnoxious, but probably harmless. Van Hopper. Van Hopper? Is yeah, that her name? Yeah, she had yeah. A very, they have she's funny names. a delightful names. character. Yeah, they have very funny names. Yeah, she was, I really liked her as a character, but she was obnoxious and gauche. Yeah. And, and it also, it was petty. A, it gave us clues that we didn't pick up mm. because she was a high society person. Mm -hmm. And so she knew him from parties at Mandalay. Mm -hmm. And he wants nothing to do with her. Right, right. Right? And we find out later that he wants nothing to do with all that that represented. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe his big flaw is he brought his new wife. What was her first name? I can't remember at all right now. Yeah, she's just like the new wife, right? Yeah, I can't remember uh, That's how much they stripped her identity. Yes, yes. Uh, Joan Fontaine, though. Beautiful. Yes, yes. Um, I'm sorry, I just no, lost okay. my train of thought. It's all right. So how much do we put on that age difference? Yes, the they age difference. They kept hitting us over the head with it. And I think it really had to do with that he wanted to assure himself that he wasn't taking someone who was a con artist back into his life. That it was somebody who was a good person, innocent, and hadn't been corrupted by the world. Yes. And, on however you want to take that, sexually and, or morally. It has this tremendous sadness around it because yeah. she thinks that her marriage isn't working out because she's not enough like yes, Rebecca. Rebecca. And it's every time she tries to be like and Rebecca, is, he's horrified. And that's like Vertigo with this remake. Yes, it and is. Only it? it's yeah. the women thinking they have to do this remake. She thinks she has to do this remake and so does Danvers. And so he does not want it. He's the opposite of that. Yeah, it's very interesting. And interesting that's got to be something that meant something to Hitchcock, obviously. By the way, yeah. um, we missed when we watched the, the it. Hitchcock cameo. I couldn't see it. So I looked it up yes. right after the film. Yes. And it takes place just about at the end of the film oh. when they visited Dr. Baker <laughs> and, and then um, the cousin calls Mrs. Danvers. Uh -huh. And while he's on the phone with Mrs. Danvers, <laughs> Hitchcock walks behind Damn, him that's funny. wearing a hat. Oh, that's and funny. I didn't catch it at all. Oh, yeah. mm. uh, and it always proves, no matter how eagle-eyed you try to be, yep. how little you actually see. Yeah, that's a very good point. Very good point. Yep. Whereas normally I see everything. Everything. Just this one time I didn't. Right. Did we talk about paid companion? 
we were just i was just starting yeah, to starting that's when to, I, I had lost that's my, what my train, lost of, your train of yes, thought it was around this this strange job she had as a as a paid companion with this wealthy socialist yes to do things like she wants to play rummy yes. so you play rummy yeah. with her and, and eat dinner with her yes and keep company with her and when i looked it up it said something like that you're all it sounded a bit like i think you are you are paid to be with them and um, a bit like an intern because the, the the person that's the paid companion is not only getting a paycheck, but they're getting to, to learn about society and manners and how to behave. I think. And uh, I wonder if that was a thing. If there were if there were paid companions in, in that, yeah, as that kind well, of job. I, as you certainly because I mean, because today I think that when we we think of paid companion, we think of it the other way. We think of males with female paid companions like escorts like escorts, escorts or right. um, or sugar babies right. or whatever the, right. the appropriate word is today i don't know uh, but somebody who's sticking around um like the character in succession yeah the one brother's oh, yeah, the girlfriend, uh, girlfriend. Yeah, who was a sex worker yes who was a sex and worker then, and now she's constantly being embarrassed by the fact that she was a, right. a sex worker right. and um, he wants her to, to marry him, and she finally, I think she says, fuck mm -hmm. it, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, what I found here was a paid companion will be with you, your, will be with your young person in the wider community, helping them to learn the social skills of friendship when you are not present. Well, that wasn't this film, no. Spend time debriefing with them when they return this was from just, This was really someone who was just rolling in money yeah. who was lonely or needed some some needed a companion and so yeah. she bought one. Yeah. What does a lady's companion do? The companion's role was to spend her time with her employer providing company and conversation to help her to entertain guests and often to accompany her to social events. Okay. Right. And that is weird though because that's what an escort does too. Sure. Um, Except that there's, there's usually there's sex involved Absolutely. in those transactions. Yes. Yes. Whereas it's pretty clear that this is a non-sexual mm -hmm. companion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of job. Weird, very old-fashioned job, I assume. Although, be a great job to have, perhaps, except for if you're with an annoying employer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, how was your nature walk today? Well, that changes the subject for the it movie, does. doesn't it? Yeah. Well, um, the nature walk was, was really good. I, I go on these Monday nature walks, which usually causes rain. But the <laughs> rain today didn't start until after the nature walk. Okay. Um, we went to Humber Bay, which is not very far from, from here in the west side of, of Toronto. For those who don't know Toronto, um, if you know Toronto a lot, you mm. don't put the second T in it. Okay. Unless you slow it down and you mm -hmm. deliberately say Toronto. But those of us who live here would say Toronto. I say Toronto. I've always tried to say it properly, what okay. I call properly. Properly. Well, I yeah. say it properly, too. You Toronto. do, too. Okay, we both say it. Properly. So, anyway, um, there, Toronto has is built between two major rivers, mm -hmm. the, the Humber on the west and uh, on the east is uh, the Don. Yeah. And um, on the west, once upon a time, when I was... In university, mm -hmm. in high school and university, mm -hmm. for instance, and mm -hmm. before that, mm -hmm. um, there was a strip of land that, that spanned from um, the Humber River on the east to Park Lawn on the west, which contained a strip of motels. <laughs> and in this, that strip of motels, they were, where, about those. they were where tourists would stay yep. for many, many years. 
uh, in the Toronto area. With or a the Toronto companion, area, maybe? Sometimes. <laughs> uh, and um, at some point in its history, the owners of those motels uh, started talking with the developers who wanted mm. desperately to build condos mm. there. Mm -hmm. And I believe that many of the, uh, the owners of the, of the motels held out together to mm -hmm. get the best possible mm -hmm. price. And eventually, all of those uh, motels became condos. Huge condos. And, um, back in the end of the 70s, uh, when I was just going to university, mm -hmm. um, I had a job working as the evening manager, the evening desk clerk yeah. slash manager of one of these motels. That was, it was the one that was the most east located motel. And just to the east of that was a pub called the John Ducks Tavern. <laughs> and then they were putting up a condo, which is there today, which yeah. is the Palace Pier. Uh, and it was at a time when they were still kind of family operations, mm -hmm. but the owners weren't putting a lot of money into them mm. because they were going to sell them and, you know, and run off with the, with the profits. Right. Uh, so it was a, a time of change. So you had really interesting clientele of family, families visiting from Buffalo and, and Cleveland mm -hmm. and places like that who wanted to visit Toronto, they would often stay in those motels. But you also had the beginning of seedier sorts of activities yes, that, definitely. That, that happened um, around some of those motels. So it was pretty interesting. When I worked in the one I worked at, uh, it had in the office a sofa that was gold covered with <laughs> thick, clear plastic, and the gold was sparkly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure you've seen something just like that. And, of course, with the thick plastic, it would be indestructible. It would last for a really long time. And we also had, in the office, we had a switchboard, which was... <laughs> A switchboard closer to what you might remember from like Rowan and Martin's laughing. Right. Uh, some old movie. Yes. So there were phones in every room. But if you wanted to make a call, you picked up the phone and you got connected with me at the front desk. High tech at the time. Um, so <laughs> if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to order a pizza, say, uh, even if you had a, a pizza company in mind, I would always call a certain pizza company yeah. because when they delivered the pizza. They bring you one. They would sometimes oh, bring me wow. one too. So I was, I was at the time. I, I thought, what a great pizza company. Plus, it was they made the best pizza. Oh, yeah. There was one guy would come once a week. He would come and he would make a call out. <laughs> and twenty minutes after the call out, or half hour after oh, the call dear. out, a car would pull up, mm -hmm. and um, uh, a young woman would get out of the car and visit him for a while, and then he would make another call for pizza. Yeah. Hey, After he she left, up an appetite. he didn't share the pizza with her. No. He waited till she left. He worked then, up an appetite. Yeah, yeah. I guess he did. Um, but at that time, there wasn't that much of that activity. There yeah. was a little bit of it. Um, and in behind the motel, the beach was... It was sort of a reedy, weedy, kind of rocky yeah. beach. Yeah. And there was a pool in the back. And one of the things that I remember <laughs> is that... Um, at some point during the summer that I worked there, it was snake mating season. Oh, good God. And 
there were thousands of garter snakes appeared. I don't know oh, where all these garter wow. snakes came from. Or if it was like locusts. If it, it was, was like, like Sodom and Gomorrah over like, there. I'm telling you, there was a, a crazy... Uh, a, a crazy influx of these garter snakes oh uh, and there were so many of them and they were like slithering into the laundry yeah. room and one of the things oh, I had to do was like keep the, keep the snakes away oh no um, and people would go down to enjoy the pool and, and scream and, and well you know people kind of put up with it it's like because they're kind of harmless they were snakes. harmless okay uh yeah gee my nephew would have loved that if he could swim with snakes swimming with snakes so a curious thing happened since the, it became they sold out to to the developers. Yeah, uh, some kind of deal was made. They got to build the condos, but they had to have so much parkland. Oh, where are you going to put the parkland along the lakeshore? Right, where did you they build it? it into the lake? Oh, so, so they, they put a ton fill. of fill into yeah. the lake, yeah. and so the result of that are two major parks: Humber Bay East okay. and Humber Bay West. Oh, and um, Miles Hearn, who's a naturalist, I go on these walks with. Yeah. Um, usually takes his groups to Humber Bay East. Okay. But um, right now the city is doing some serious enhancements to Humber Bay East, naturalizing a lot of the shoreline. Nice. Uh, which I think is a great idea. Um, so until 2025, probably three quarters of Humber Bay East is off limits mm. because there's heavy construction mm. equipment. So now Miles takes us to Humber Bay West, and then we go over the footbridge and we circle around part of Humber Bay East you can still get to, and then we go off into Humber Bay West. So uh, today we, we saw, I think, three great blue herons, um, two of which were in amongst uh, a group of cormorants, mm -hmm. double-crested cormorants. Do you know what you call a group of cormorants? Cormorai? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and what I'm getting at is, for instance, a group of crows is a murder of yes, crows. Yes, Seagulls are a flock of seagulls. Uh, yep, I do know well, that. A group of cormorants is a gulp of cormorants. Oh, how cute. According to Miles. Now, he might have made that oh, up, but really I don't cute. think so. That's really cute. I'm going with it. So we saw this gulp of cormorants mm -hmm. with these two herons in the middle of it, um, just kind of minding their own business, and that was pretty cool. Um, we also saw some of the birds that are migrating through right now. Um, the last of the yellow-rumped warblers. Um, there's, I think we saw one or two of them. Most of them are are gone uh, back uh, south now. Um, and we saw another group of birds that are passing through, which are called the white-throated sparrows. Yeah. And if you saw a white-throated sparrow, the first thing you would see is you would see little splotches of yellow on the sides of their head. And so Cute. you would think it would be the yellow splotch sparrow, right, but no. no, it's the white-throated sparrow because they also have a white throat. White throat. Okay. Um, so, you know, we saw those, and um, we we saw lots of plants that are at the end of the wildflower season. Mm -hmm. um, Miles always points out one particular wildflower. Right. Um, and uh, and usually makes some comment like, uh, Eugene, are you getting a picture of this one? <laughs> and that's a flower called a knapweed. Okay. <laughs> and I say, I say, aha, the Nap family egg, flower. Yeah. <laughs> Very cute. And it's, yeah, it's a little purple flower. So we're, we're kind of at the end of the wildflowers. There were some knapweed in bloom still. There were some New England asters, um, some um, panicled asters, but a lot of them were already gone to seed. Right. Um, and as it gets colder... Uh, the botany will focus start focusing on the buds that mm -hmm. the trees are forming now for spring. 
because there's no more flowers. So you start uh, looking at another aspect yeah. of, of nature. But also the remaining walks in this uh, group of walks are, are going to be in and around the lake because what we're seeing now is an influx of uh, the, the winter ducks, mm -hmm. what we call the winter ducks. Okay. So we saw today uh, some gadwalls, which are among the first of the winter ducks to come. Uh, and we also saw some um, green-winged teal, which very are, are very, they're a small duck. They're about half the size of a mallard, and oh. they like mudflats. Oh. And right now, uh, the water in the lake is quite low. So Mimico Creek, which flows through there, is like a big mudflat. Nice. And you can see in the very, very shallow water, these green-winged teals, they kind of like, they stick their head in the water and they kind of propel themselves with their head underwater. It's quite comical to, to wow, watch them. cool. So we saw that and... Uh, and got a little bit of exercise, nice. and it's a nice group of people. Nice. Uh, and I always learn something from yeah. Miles Hearn, who's a, a really a great... A gulp of cormorants. A gulp of cormorants. That's hmm. what I learned today. I saw a little nature today. What did you see? Part of the reason I'm in town, the main reason, is to give my daughter some driving lessons. Driving time. So we went out to Bluffers Park, way out in Scarborough. Well, nice. you were on the west end, I was on the very far west uh, east end. And we went to a parking lot that was very empty, so she could drive backwards for an hour. Just... No driving frontwards, just driving backwards in circles and all around this parking lot. <coughs> it's uh, My sister suggested it to get you out of your head for driving, so you're not worried about... Once you do that, you start to realize where... Oh, that's beautiful. A gulp of... It is Sorry, I just stuck my phone yeah. in Candy's face yeah. and interrupted her. I didn't that's mean okay. that she was going right. to stop talking. It's okay. Yes, um, <laughs> according to a number of books, a, a gulp is a favorite term for a group of okay. cormorants. And then What's they the say, unfavored? I went gulp when I saw them from a distance. Oh, cute. Cute. I thought maybe they gulped a lot or something like that. Who knows how they get those names? No, they're neighborhood bullies. And are now, they? yes, they are. Uh, they, um, we have a, a, an interesting bird that, uh, that nests uh, at Sam Smith Park uh, called the, uh, the orange, the orange neck grebe. And, right. Um, someone from the yacht club down there a number of years ago started putting, um, saw some and put platforms out in the harbor oh. to try to, to entice nice. them to nest. Yeah. And they did. Oh. And now they nest there every year. Oh. But then the neighborhood bullies come along. Oh. And sometimes. And rob eggs. Sometimes they, yeah, they destroy the nest yeah, and they, that's sad. they take over. That's yeah, sad. they're not very nice at all. And the, I think it was last year or the year before, um, the, uh, the government, uh, put a bounty on cormorants. Stop it. What does that mean? It means that uh, you can go... I think it was, oh, it's not a bounty. It's, a, it's an open season. You can go out and like bag what? 50 of them. I don't know what you're going to do with That's bagging terrible. cormorants. Terrible. But they're trying to reduce the cormorant oh, population. See. Yeah, you can't eat them. I can't imagine. They, I, they would be you tasty. They're gamey. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. So I, I haven't heard of anyone actually going out okay. and shooting cormorants. <laughs> but I think you could if you oh, wanted to. Very sad. Yeah. Oh, so in amongst this, we took a break you know, from the driving, and we went down and looked at the lake for a second. When we came back, we heard a blue jay go absolutely apeshit. And we saw two swans, a blue jay going apeshit, flying circles in the little bay, and then um, a bunch, 20 ducks, and then all of a sudden we looked to our left, and right in front of us, maybe, I'm going to say 10 feet away, this adolescent raccoon comes out, and he is doing a walk of shame home. He <laughs> looks like he has is exhausted. He's been up all night. And he's just hanging his head and like, I said, oh my God. I hope he's grubbing. Have, 
It's like we would go clubbing. He goes grubbing. Grubbing, yeah. He looked so <laughs> tired. He was exhausted, and he just looked like, don't see me, and he didn't want anyone to see him. We were like, who woke him up? He must have been sleeping somewhere, and somebody in the park woke him up because he looked so despondent and unhappy. And he was so cute. You really know, teenager. He's so one, adorable. One day in the spring, I went to put some recycle one morning into the into the blue recycle bin, <laughs> and I opened the blue recycle bin, and there was a raccoon in the bin. <laughs> I jumped about I six feet back. I bet you did. And, and the, the lid fell closed. Oh, jeez. And I stood there looking at the at the, the Yeah, like, what do you do now? Like, what do I do now? Um, and I saw there was a there was a shovel or something like that lying around, and so you opened it. With the I shovel. opened it with the shovel, and I said, "It's okay, you can go now." Yeah. And it turned out it was a baby, Aww. and probably the mama had had like put Jumped him there for, him in there. for safekeeping yeah. while she went off to get dinner or so something. What do you want to do with him? Um, so I I opened it up. I asked him to leave. Yeah. And he looked at me for about five seconds. And then he scrambled out of there, climbed up on the fence, and then climbed oh, the tree and took off. Oh, poor little baby. Oh, poor little guy. Scared me. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I didn't want to leave. I could have watched this raccoon all day. He was so cute. And then, we, you know, we have a skunk that, yeah, that lives I know. around I here. Yeah, I smell him. Yeah. And um, for a while, mm -hmm. every night, I was seeing the skunk <laughs> come out back because the mm -hmm. skunk was grubbing. And, yeah. you know, you could see the holes. The skunks and the raccoons right. both do that, I think. Yeah. And they, they dig these holes. And... And so I, I like to let, well, at that time, the dogs, now yeah. it's George, yeah. out, out to pee uh, before bed. And it was, it was right at the time that the skunks would come yeah. out. And so I started to open the door before I let George out, clap my hands. Yeah. Well, first I discovered, <laughs> I go into my studio, which is our garage, mm -hmm. and and play music late at night. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I would think that would fiddle. scare those skunks away. Well, and what's happened a number of times is I've opened the door <laughs> to come in, and the skunk is there grubbing six oh, feet away. Oh, wow. So at first, I I would, I would look at him, he'd look at me, and I'd go, go, yeah. be gone. Yeah. And he'd turn around and leave. Yeah. Well, after a couple of times. He's not afraid work. of you. Right. So I'd have to clap my hands. Yeah. <laughs> and then say, be gone, skunky. Sorry, you're not very scary looking when you do that. <laughs> but he would go away. And then he would turn yeah. around and waddle yeah. away. Oh, um, so so it got to the point where I would say. <laughs> stomp your feet. <laughs> before I'd let George out, I yeah. would open the door and I would go, skunky, be gone. <laughs> hoping that he would just go away. Then yeah. I'd let George outside. Well. George learned that Skunky Be God means it's time to go to oh, pee. God. And so I'd say Skunky Be God and George would come to the door because it's time to yeah, go out. Yeah. I, I try to train if I try to train George to do something, do no. he just like he I can't train me. I, know. I am untrainable. I think it's a cute sound of Skunky Be Gone and then he wants to go out and do that. He wants to be there part of the fun. Too cool. So shall we discuss that we we're gonna take a little hiatus? Not yet. But in a couple of weeks. Yes, we are. Um, we've done um, 170 some episodes yeah. uh, with with very very few breaks. I would call it season two. Um, now. And you know when we started this during the um, well, just before the pandemic. Yes, before the pandemic, we had no idea there was going to be a pandemic. Yes, and you know this podcast in some ways helped us through the pandemic. It definitely it helped, helped my mental health. Yes, and I think through. some of our listeners. Yeah. Also, we're looking for something to do during right, the pandemic, and they right. started to, to listen yeah. to our conversations. Yeah. And so we started to we started to do this, um, not realizing that it's a job. It's and, a big job. Yeah, and also we want to have something fresh. We want to we want to take a break, 
Yes, because we've both been realizing that um, the last few weeks it's been difficult for us to get in 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 front of it to get to get our content together to research done talk reasonably intelligently about things uh, or to read more to uh, watch more whatever and i just think it's also good for us to stand back and um and think how would we if we want to go forward how do we want to go forward yeah so so, we're going to do a few more episodes. Yeah, we've got a but, couple of interviews and a couple more episodes. Um, but maybe, and, and then we're going to take a hiatus. Yeah. And during that hiatus, we're going to figure out how to how to proceed from yeah, there. Yeah. So what we would like bigger, to, better, to ask you stronger. is, what do you think? What do you like about the podcast? What do you hate about the podcast? What could we do better? Yeah. Yeah. What would you like to see change when we come back for a new season? Um, also... Um, it we thought maybe what we really need is to have a couple more agents. Yeah, yeah. Um, agents that could do maybe specials mm-hmm. occasionally for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say someone who has a particular interest that might want to uh, create a, a sound file about what right. they do, and then we would we'll do an introduction. Yep. Um, but also um, maybe some more agents to do what what we're doing yeah, now. Exactly. So we might mix it up. So. Yeah. Um, let's say it might be Candy and Agent X That's uh, right. has a, a discussion one That's week right. and another week it might be me and Agent Y. That's right. Um, so we, we don't know. We're just starting yeah. to kick around some yeah. ideas. Yeah. But we thought we would take um, take a couple of months off and yep. uh, and figure out yep. um, what to what to do next with this podcast and also to um, well to gather more content. To gather more content to give ourselves a, a, a standing room standing room to look back. Yes. And Had we have thought about it, we would have done it in seasons we to start would with. Have. Oh you know, my god. Like succession, for instance, they do the season, they're super yeah. successful, yeah. and then they, they take a break and then they film new Come ones. Back in. And yeah. then it comes back in and everything's yeah. new and exciting and people are yes. ready for more of it. And I kept saying, Let's do a season one. And that's why I'm gonna call the next season season three. Because I we've mentioned it like, okay, that was season one and this was season but two. But don't ask us when so season when, one no, stopped no, and season two don't. started. But there was two seasons, and then we're going to take a hiatus and come back probably in February or March. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, and so we're really asking for your input. How do you give us input? Well, if you know us, you can just call message us up us. and message us or whatever yeah. and um, give us a piece of your mind. Right. Tell us what you think. Right. Um, or uh, you can email us at theagency.podcast at gmail.com and... Um, and let us know what you think. Um, or if you think you were born to be an agent right. and you want to tell us why, we'll yeah. give that some consideration. Yeah. Give us your best yeah. pitch. That's right. Um, so think about that, folks. Um, and we're not doing this right away. We do have a few more episodes yep. uh, to come. I'm not sure what's going to be the date uh, before we go on a hiatus. So stick with us. Stick Don't, with us. Just because we said this doesn't mean abandon ship, okay? Right. I'm watching. <laughs> I'm watching. You better be coming back. We love don't, you guys. Don't go we to need Mrs. You. Danvers on them. That's right. Um, so email us at theagc.podcast at gmail.com about the future, yeah. but also anything, anything you want, because we love to get yeah, mail. We do. And we're going to be back at you next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. All right. See ya. Bye.